0: The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion.
1: This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear.
2: I got to go in these secret compartments underneath the Disney that nobody would know of. You know, the place I worked is an underground tunnel to get from from point A to point B in case of a bomb threat, in case of anything, and everybody's got to be shuffled down there.
1: Right, welcome in. Another week, another week not home. Not home in my uh, in my northeast dwelling. Uh, The seasons are changing. Summer is upon us. I've witnessed the transformation of Florida from its glorious spring slash end of winter. I guess March. And just days of 80 degrees and dangerous amounts of time without rain. I mean, weeks into its summer, its hurricane season starting June 1st down here. It's tropical state, so it's fucking raining all the fucking time now. It has rained the last three days. 90% of the time, my eyes have been open and I've been conscious. I've been uh, navigating clouds and just downpours. Welcome June. Uh, But the seasons changed. The seasons changed. The seasons... um, you know, uh, I was I was thinking I just said seasons and it triggered uh, another television thing. You know, we're locked in, right? So there's a lot of TV. I'm I'm I yelled at everybody for not reading last week, but you know, we're all watching a lot of TV, right? We're stuck with Netflix, we're stuck with Amazon, Hulu, whatever you're streaming on. Hopefully, some kfabe commentaries program uh, via KCVault.PivotShare.com and. You know, as we stream these things, I was, uh, I brought up Seinfeld the other day, and in my quest to find something to watch, and something that I took for granted was on TV all the freaking time, it seemed, in the 90s. It was between syndication, and every time I turned on a channel, Seinfeld was on. Now it's hard to get. So I, I said, you know what? I haven't seen them in a while. I'll put them on. As shows. What's the connection you're looking for with Florida and seasons? The season. The second season. It's just the word. It's not even the right definition. It's totally out of context. The second season of Seinfeld I started. I find that shows don't find their groove until they've kind of worked out the first season. When the first season is written and it's being shot and it's being put on the air, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows which characters are really going to take off and be the... You know, the funny ones the ones people want to see on TV we it, it takes a season to work that stuff out. the writers begin to know the characters better the actors begin to know the characters better, better and embody them. any of the big shows like Friends comes to mind right I would t- anybody who has never seen friends I would tell them jump in a few seasons jump right in what are you, what are you gonna miss some stupid storylines yeah Rachel Ross like Rachel good you'll pick up. You'll figure it out. So, um, I think things that are good age with time well. Uh, Kayfabe commentaries over the years. That's the, for those of you who are not familiar with the wrestling background, I had a wrestling, have a wrestling production company that I co ran for 12 years and. In the begin, if you look at kind of our our change, our passion, our our energy was always the same, but that familiarity with ourselves and with our programming began to settle in, and the show's identities began began to have just a a more defined life. The vision was was more clear, you know. uh, it got to the point, you know, 10 years in, there was minimal, there needed to be minimal talk between me and Anthony before an episode of something, you know, we would talk the business stuff and guests and money and stuff. And then once something was booked and, you know, he would kind of go into the bunker and write the show and I knew what was coming out. I didn't, uh, I didn't need to have a lot of it, but I knew what the script was. I looked at it a day before maybe. So make sure I have a shooting script the day before, so I can run through and make my quick edits. And I would get it and run through and make quick edits. He trusted what I was going to be cutting out, and it's that shorthand, right? And I'm sure bands. I always love to liken us to like the Rolling Stones or Aerosmith or something like that. anywhere where there was a you know like prominent two man creative team, it's probably more like you know, uh, you know, two guys that that ran a a fucking candy store or something, but. You know, in my mind, it's it's the stones or whatever, and and uh, there is that shorthand. You know, you start to know what each other are capable of and what the strengths are, and when to get out of the way, what to be involved with, what not to worry about. So that starts to happen, and and also the identities of the shows, the the physical shooting of the show. So, for example, let's take a you shoot, okay? We knew going in. We'd be able to go into a space. There were a few of the suites we had to shoot in hotel suites because we need big square areas. We toss the furniture out of the room, go in and set up the lights, the tripods, the cameras. Um, you know, bring the chairs in. You uh, shoot needed the two par cans uh, from the floor with the you re- shoots color was red, so all the shows had like a color scheme also that went with it for identification purposes and so we walked in and we knew and the team knew brian and craig and and anthony and i walked in and we knew it was uh you shoot was going to be a two camera setup we had to decide based on where anthony was going to be most comfortable because he was manning the guest cam the uh the hard cam was just static because it was me and the, it was a two shot you know with a little bit of leeway you know the headroom and a little bit of left, right, in case we moved around. But the the guest uh, Anthony needed to man that. That there had to be a person on that camera, and in case we had to push in for a real touching story and get the close up, and uh, or or come out more when if someone's gesticulating wildly and grabbing for my throat. So you know the two the two red park hands on the floor lighting the backdrop behind the you shoot sign which was on a stand uh, between me and the guest and then uh, a uh, a backlight a single backlight for the guest with a red gel and um, one or two key lights depending on the space. Everything was tungsten. Then we went to LEDs after a while. Although the backlight always stayed... The backlight was always a tungsten bulb. um, Which sometimes gave a a, a kind of a weird visual problem. It softened the red too much. Maybe made it like an orange or a pink. But I digress. We walked in. Everyone knew what to do. Why? It's the familiarity. With age comes that... Not just the familiarity, but things can be better because of it. The identity of the shows. Just about everything I can think of gets better with time and with age. Except, except this podcast. All right, listen, you read wrestling books. There's a ton of them out there, right? You got memoirs, you got wrestlers' memoirs. The Business of K Fabe, Turning Wrestlers' Secrets into a Million Dollars, written by yours truly. Okay, now this chronicles the business lessons learned from running K Fabe commentaries for 12 years. My first book, K Fabe uh, Stories You're Not Supposed to Hear, from a pro wrestling production company owner. Number one bestseller in the wrestling category for almost 19 months, okay, on Amazon. This follow-up, The Business of Kayfabe, what are the business lessons inside these stories? What is there to learn from all of this time running the company? The personalities in pro wrestling have always been some of the most unique and entertaining in the world. And for more than 10 years, Kayfabe Commentaries has been the leading production company in the genre. Now you'll go inside the company. You'll see how it's done. Me, the on-camera ringmaster, co-owner of the company, I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you through all the components of building the business that brought the real-life personalities behind wrestling's outrageous uh, angles uh, to the masses from our hits to our cancellations there were lessons to be learned in all of it listen tons of great stories it's available in paperback on kindle and on audiobook go check out audible or grab it on itunes however you listen to your audiobooks the business of kayfabe All right, I'm here with uh, this week's guest, and uh, listen, we went from Ron Jeremy last week uh, to Vito LaGrasso this week, and and I can't think of a connecting correlation between Ron Jeremy and Big Vito. Uh, maybe the big.
2: Hey, how are you doing? Thank you very much for having me on your show, Sean. It's a great addition to be part of the Sean Sean Oliver podcast crew. I greatly appreciate your time. I know you got a lot of great fans. I heard a lot of good things about you. Our friend Eric Sims from ESS hooked us up. Um, I was looking forward to this all day. So, Sean, I know you got some great questions for me, and let it roll. Of course,
1: I'm going to start with my standard ECW question. Okay, because last year was the 25th anniversary of ECW as we knew it. So, who do you give your anniversary card to at ECW?
2: Um, I would say Taz.
1: Because he got you in.
2: Because he got me in.
1: Yeah. Um, so
2: that, that's who I give it to. And then uh I'd like to give a shout out to all the crew who I work with and all the guys I work with because, you know, it's not just one guy getting you in it, but it's a bunch of guys working as a team to help each other uh, look good. So I give my uh, A-plus card to the whole ECW crew who was there when I was there.
1: What, what made – ECW so different I know what it did for me at the time I was a fan I didn't have any connection to the business I was just a fan and I knew that I had tasted something different Uh, what did it do as a worker what were you able to do in ECW that you couldn't do anywhere else for your career
2: I was able to transition into Vito the Skull Lagrasso and be myself Staten Island street guy from Staten Island New York and get rid of the Skull Von Crush moniker that I had developed for eight years, which had its own cult following, you know, Skull Von Crush from the new movement, but they just thought it was time for me to move out from that character and move into who I was. Right. Did you
1: propose that, or did they ask you to do it?
2: Paul Heyman was the brains behind the whole thing.
1: We hear so much about Paul. What you hear about Paul ranges from genius... To uh, I don't think anyone disputes that, but, you know, he's a bit of a charlatan, too. You know, there's a little bit of a snake oil salesman in there, too, and a little bit of three-card Monty. Anytime you hear a story about Paul not paying someone or using a dead person's name to get a plane ticket, everyone says it with a smile. What was so likable about Paul E.?
2: I guess the best thing about Paul was that he's a motivator and uh, he really, you know, I have to tell you, he really didn't play that many games with me, you know, because, you know, I'm a straight shooter and, you know, and um, he knew of me from Staten Island and Paul actually was the first guy who into, who did a TV commentator thing for me when I wrestled Beautiful Bobby on WCW.
1: Oh, when he was there too. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: So I had a, I had a, you know, I had an interaction with him, but he knew I was a Johnny Rods guy. Taz was bringing me in, so it really wasn't much about like a hustle with him with me. He knew I wanted to wrestle. He knew I was a good wrestler. He could put me anywhere up and down on the card, and it just basically came down to you know, uh, I got another opportunity at WCW, so it was nothing he did wrong. You know, I wanted to stay at ECW because I found a the niche there. I was happy to be there. It was home for me, but you know, money and you know what they were going through financially, they couldn't compare to the contract I got at, you know, WCW. So it was just time to move on. And I have nothing bad to say about Paulie. I have nothing bad to say about ECW. You know, it, is, you know, it is what it is. And it was a great time in my life. There's a great, um, it was a great period of wrestling. And you know, ECW wasn't, you know the alternative that was just another brand to watch and a, and a great you know, group of guys who became future stars in WCW and, and the WWE. Um, we will
1: talk wrestling. We will talk ECW, WCW. But there's another world, Vito, that you're an insider to. There's another world where fans are as
2: passionate
1: as wrestling fans, and the world is as secretive as wrestling. And you know what that is, don't you? It's Disney. Tell me. Disney
2: Disney. Disney is a great place to go and to be able to go in there and be free of the world and just live your childhood and just be carefree and happy and see a bunch of happy people. I mean, that's that's an awesome thing to do and be able to live that and be close to it, you know, and, you know, it's a shame it's closed right now because of what's going on. But I think that once it opens, I think more people are going to be appreciative of Disneyland.
1: You know, I, uh, we're annual pass holders. My family are, are Disney nuts. I, I go along f- for the ride. I do enjoy... You know what I enjoy about it? And you're going to tell me about this because you worked security there. I call it the bubble. Right. When you go inside the bubble, nothing can touch you. I feel like when you pass in no. and you're within those parks, it is literally a different world. And it is separated from everything else. Now, from a security standpoint, I would imagine somebody can watch every inch of every piece of property that Disney has, that there's eyes on every single corner of that place. True. That is true. And that with the push of, push of a button, I bet you can close everything down and no one could ever get out onto I-4, right?
2: If people don't know, Disney is a, is a terrorist target, which people don't really know. It's one of the top five in the world. So if they were going to hit something, Disney is like the World Trade Center. They're going to get you. But they have such security, you know, underground security, uh, undercover security, that it is uh, it is definitely difficult to do dastardly things in Disney.
1: How big is the security force there? How many thousands of people are we talking about?
2: Are you talking about thousands? You know, from managers to undercovers to the dog patrol to the people who do bag check to uh, – you know, people who just have jobs in the office, people who watch the cameras, people who watch surveillance. I mean, if you know, and I gotta tell you, if you're looking to do damage inside of Disney with all those women and children and families, you know, you you're gonna get what you reap, and nobody should have any, you know, nobody should feel bad for you for how you come out of that. But I mean, you know, Disney is a place of peace and happiness, and I can't see anybody trying to destroy that, but there are people out there who would. But the Disney security force is definitely one of the top-notch places in the world. And you definitely learn a lot more. I mean, I have a security background. but going there and learning uh, that much more about security in a place like that. You're jamming um, literally, uh, I'd say, about four or five months of security knowledge into two weeks, and then it's on the job training and learn as you go.
1: Wow. How long were you? How many years were you there?
2: Uh, I was there for one year. Mm-hmm. Demanding? Uh, I wouldn't say, I would say for the mass of people that you take care of, it's demanding, but the workplace with the people to work is very pleasant. When you look at the Magic Kingdom, from your post or you look at the fireworks at night i mean what better view is there and then when you get to help people and you make them smile i've been making people smile for 30 years in wrestling business and then they get to do it on a regular job and work for you know not only a place like disney world but titan sports panda energy you know turner sports you're working for the biggest entertainment companies in the world so you're definitely on stage and as they say And you're definitely on, you know, you know, out there in the public light.
1: What's the stupidest shit you saw someone pull at Disney that you had to get involved with?
2: Uh, Somebody trying to bring a weapon in and I caught it at the gate and I put my hand on it and uh, hold hold the person there until undercovers came and managers come. And they come within seconds because you have a radio signal that you call and um, within seconds it's uh, it's diffused. And you gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, and when you have your hands on a weapon, you just can't, you know, you gotta keep keep the conversation going, keep like nothing's happening, and um, you know, you just uh, you gotta be cool hand luke when you're in those positions.
1: So you said undercover, so you've got people walking through the park with like a fucking like a goofy hat on and shit, but it's a cop or security.
2: Yeah it's a it's a police officers it's security it's everything we have we have everything there you know and the good thing about it is you know people people take a lot of guff and you say police officers and you say you know what you go through and, and like you're a step below being a police officer you know without the official gun badge, badging gun but if people harass you they're arrested they put a finger on you they're arrested they spit on you they're arrested you act up you're escorted for the park you're banned for life That's how strict it is because there's no playing around. If you see somebody with a hood and a jacket on and walking around the park and you call it in on the radio and the uh, undercover say, Vito, can you follow them? Or Vito, can you lead us to them? And then you approach them. You know, it takes a lot of guts as a security officer to approach people. You don't know what they got in their pocket. And uh, I found knives. I found pieces of metal. I found sharp objects. I found... uh, bullets you find different things in the park and you wonder why they would bring them to a place like that
1: yeah um what uh, you mentioned the band for life and you you know we, the, the disney fans sometimes hear that what will get you banned for life obviously something big like a, a weapon obviously but what's like what's that list of of uh of banned for life activities
2: making a scene spitting on an officer. Uh, trespassing uh, trying to steal merchandise I'll give you a funny story we had happen there that um, a gentleman had brought a weapon into the park he says oh I forgot it like many people they say they forget it in your bag you know it's in your bag you know you carry it let's not be dummies he's trying to bring the weapon in the park so he brings it to the park he's getting out his license he gives it to his wife to hold Wife gets arrested for handling a handgun. Unlicensed. Unlicensed register of your handgun. Wow.
1: Oh. You guys have a holding cell on the grounds?
2: Um, They bring you into the office, but usually uh, the uh, sheriff's office is right there to escort them. And uh, we're not allowed to cuff them. We're not allowed to do anything like that to detain. We can follow we have walkie-talkies and surveillance cameras all over, so they, let, they they know exactly where you're going, where you're running, how you're getting there, and all you got to do is be in pursuit until a squad car comes or our security in patrol cars can find you. But, I mean, there's no escaping, and if you try to fight security or try to get out, I mean, you know, they're going to lock you up. So, I mean, it's pretty tight in that way, and they don't tolerate people with ignorance. Hey, you remember that... Um, the big fight in Disneyland uh, with the uh, the family who went there and the guy was arguing with his sister and his wife and the mother and he started slapping the wife, slapping the sister and he got locked up for it. No. That happened in Disneyland in California and uh, it was a big riot and a big thing. Guy got locked up and he lost his rights to Disney but the big thing is if you're swinging at your wife in the place, you know you know as a security officer you go down and say sir we're not allowed to act like that here at Disney it's a privilege to be here you know can you please calm it down as soon as he gives you the f u bomb mind your business you say okay sir that's not a problem let me get a manager to help you you know and what was the cool thing about it is a lot of people recognized me and you know I took I stopped to take pictures with them because you know Disney World is the place of dreams you know who would think to meet big Vito working you know, security at Disney, but a lot of fans don't get the opportunity to meet me. And here I am working a job. And, you know, the reason I worked work there was that benefit package is the best benefit package you can ever have in your whole life. You know, and everybody knows my wife is uh, handicapped and, you know, and uh, sick. So we needed the benefit package. So I said, and she wanted to live at Disney. So what better way to do a job and make her happy? Get a job at Disney, get good benefits and live life.
1: Listen, you're saying your wife's handicapped or sick, but she was the one that helped the audio for this. Anyone who's listening, we couldn't hear each other until uh, his wife got involved. So uh, uh, hats off to her.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, she handles all the she handles all the geek stuff. You know, I'm the talent, you know, the handsome one. So I got to look good, you know, no matter what. So, you know, she has a work cut out for her, you know.
1: I'm not going to argue with them. You know, fans, you can argue with them. I'm not going to argue with them. <laughs> Listen, the, we hear about the underground tunnels. This is a real thing, right? This is how you guys can get across the park really quickly, right?
2: Yes. The, un- the underground tunnels do exist. And for every Disney junkie that's out there, it's really cool. My wife is a Disney junkie, and she's jealous because I get to go behind where the fireworks are. i got to go underneath the tunnel. i got to go and. In- these secret compartments underneath the Disney that nobody would know of, you know. In you know the place I work, there's an underground tunnel to get from one from point A to point B, in case of a bomb threat, in case of anything, and everybody's got to be shuffled down there. So there are places to hide and are places to go in Disney when this does happen.
1: As a security officer, do you have do you just have to work one park, or do you have to have the knowledge of every one of their parks?
2: They would really like it if you have knowledge of all the parks in general, but you get a choice of where you want to work and where you're most comfortable. I like working at the transportation department, and um, the reason I like to work the transportation department because uh, you handle the, <clears throat> all the people coming into the park to go to Magic Kingdom, and um, I got to deal with, I mean, there were thousands. You get to service 20, and 30,000 people in a morning and um, it was two exits from my house I was at work within 15 to 17 minutes I'm in my office so that was a bonus you know when you have to go to other parks you have to, there's these routes you have to go through and secret way passageways to get to work so as cool as it is to work in Magic Kingdom and all these other great parks you know it's that it takes you an extra hour of travel time to allow for traffic to allow you to get to work to allow you to go through the tunnels on buses to get to check in and check out another great place to work was Disney Springs I enjoyed the patrol there they said they used to say Vito what do you want today I said I'll take the buses now the bus terminal you work outside and you walk back and forth by the transportation I like to walk I like to keep moving I hate standing a post. So if I get to keep helping people and talking to people, and be be out there, they never bothered me. I check in. I do, and I'm just checking in. And you know, you go you through your your uh, your schedule, or six, eight, ten hours. I was happy. I'm easy to please, and there was no no uh, hidden agenda. Another place I like to work with the Grand Floridian and the Polynesian hotels. <clears throat> Working by the trains, you're letting people on and off. You know, every it was a good rotation. You know, every half hour you had a break. You go get a drink, go sit down, go look at the go look at the water, go talk to whatever, and then you come back. So it was an easy thing. I mean it was it's a great job to have, you know, but you know, there are you know, there are some things that you might not like at Disney, but this is a positive podcast. We're talking about Disney World, the happiest place on earth. So it is a great place to work, guys. You know, if you ever get a chance to go and do that, it's definitely something to put on a resume. the resume. Uh,
1: you mentioned the uh, the um, the Floridian that you were at. Did you ever encounter the uh, the lady, uh, they, they call it the cat lady, the stuffed animal lady, the old lady that would sit inside for years. She would go to the same seat and sit inside yeah. and hand out the stuffed animals. She used to go there with her husband, and then he died, and she kept going.
2: Yep, I've seen her. I've, been, I've encountered her nice lady you know, you know everybody's got their niche in life and that was just her niche and what she liked to do so you talk about like you know people who are characters that are not characters she was a character you know my goal when I worked at Disney is I wanted to be goofy you know what I mean and to try and get into the character role to transfer over into the entertainment side was it's so difficult because once you get in you have a job There were rules. You have to stay at your job for a year. You have to, um, you know, your attendance has to be good. This has to be good. I mean, my attendance and working overtime was never a problem. I just wanted to move over to be a character. And I wanted to work in in Magic Kingdom. That was my goal. That's where I wanted to be.
1: What character could you have been? Because I know there's like a height and like there are requirements for each of the characters to be able to fit physically into the character. So you said you could have been goofy.
2: I could have been goofy. I could have worked the uh, the outdoor show, where I could have been one of the bad guys. Oh, that
1: yeah, that'd be great for you,
2: right? I could have been one of those guys. And when they did the tryouts for it, I said, "Man, this is just like wrestling. I could do all these stunts to be a stunt guy. You know, I could do all that stuff." But getting in there, even with my resume and my movie my movie credentials and everything I had. It still was a process in Disney, just like the WWE when you're trying to get a push. It's a process. Everything is a process.
1: They're very tough. They're very, th- you know, I've been in, I, I, I've been in, I i don't know, a handful of Disney movies and, and Miramax, if you count like Miramax from when they bought Miramax, a bunch of those, I can't get a goddamn cast member status. I have all the pay stubs and residuals to show them, but for some reason, that's a different category. I can't be a cast member just because I was in the the movie end of things. They have to fix that.
2: I never even thought about that, but I guess it's two different things. Like once you do something separate from Disney, they have a lot of different uh, they have a lot of different rules. They have many rules at Disney, and it's kind of hard because with all the different factions and different um, unions they have there and everything they got going on, it's hard to keep keep a track of what's what in there. You know, as far as what's running. But once you find your niche. You don't give it up. You stick with your routine. You stick with your 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 schedule. And like I said, it's a great place to work. You know, what I mean, if you have a job that you love and you go there every day, who wants to who doesn't want to hang out at Magic Kingdom all day right. and entertain people? I mean,
1: I hear about Club 33. This exclusive Disney club. It's like I think it's called 33 because it's $33,000 to join and you get like access to like different areas of the park or different rooms like above main street. What is that? Straighten me out on that.
2: It's just an exclusive club that are paid for people who have money. And it's like this living in celebration. Like, and if you want to live in Disney world with the buses that pick you up at your, at the end of your block, those are two and $3 million houses. My friend, you got to have money to live in there. It's just an exclusive Disney, Disney plus perk, you know, I mean, if you can afford to do it, I mean, it's great, but what do I get? What do I get for my
1: thirty three grand just like a little room to hang out in?
2: I don't know exactly what you get i get you would get the definitely upscale treatment that's for sure, and you would definitely be one of their one of their gold members, but uh <laughs> other than that, I mean but 33000 you think you get the world. But I think you have to pay for water like everybody else.
1: You know what? I think the friggin' annual pass went up to thirty-three dollars uh, without Club 33 in the past year. So, uh, um, you know, you were married when you worked there, right? So I can't ask you if you banged any of the princesses, right?
2: No, definitely. That was discouraged, you know, being okay. married or not married. Don't touch the princesses because they're supposed to be virtuous and golden. But I'm sure there are a couple of wild ones there.
1: Which which princess got the hottest actresses to portray them?
2: Ha oh, man. You know, that's kind of hard to say, you know, which are the prettiest because they're all made up beautiful and they all look like princesses. So I can't really say one was prettier than the other. They're all beautiful. It's Disney World. They're all supposed to be elegant. They're all supposed to be beautiful. So, I mean, when you look at them, you know, it's like, look, you're not looking at anything ugly. It's all supposed to be happy. You know what I mean? Right. So that's, kind of, that's kind of like a, you know, I guess it's a preference of what you like a blonde, a brunette, a redhead, you know. So, but, you know. But they, they all wear
1: that, the wigs anyway. They all wear the character wigs. So even that's not, you know, you can't even tell well, what they like. One of these girls who looks beautiful as Ariel might get undressed, you know, and she looks like Stan Hansen or something under that.
2: You know, it's it's like anything else. Remember when the, the Nitro girls were. On WCW, yeah, of course. And okay, and when they were done up, they looked one way, and then with no makeup, they looked another way. Same difference.
1: Right. It's like when the lights go on at the club at three o'clock, and you go,
2: "Whoa! What was I talking to for the last two hours?" This. <laughs> uh, everybody's had one of those, or two of those, or like me, twenty of those. But we're all right. Listen, you at the same at the like- same
1: time, that's something to brag about.
2: It is. It is. But you know what? You know, Disney is a place where you let your dreams and you let your problems go for the day or week, how long you're there. And being an annual Passover, you have that privilege to go every day if you can and just be carefree. I mean, if your bills are paid, your house is clean, you're eating, you have an income and you get to go to Disney, who's better than you? There isn't too many people.
1: I agree. Last question about Disney. Robert Iger, Dick, or good guy?
2: I never had any problem with him. I think he's a good guy. All right. You know, everybody. You know what? Everybody has their different views on you know how they are. Some people like it. Some people don't. You know. But if you don't have an issue with somebody directly, it's hard to say you like them or dislike them. You know, I give him a pass. You know what I mean? Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, Vito. A lot of people knew me from wrestling. They were wrestling fans. so they, they treated me really well and they were extra courteous to me you know, because they were fans and stuff. And they said, what are you doing working secure? I said, hey, secure. The, the benefits here are excellent. You get free pass to Disney. The medical benefits are good. The pay is good. You're working the happiest place on earth. What more could you want?
1: What ECW worker would you have thrown out immediately? Like not even allowed in. As soon as you saw him at the gate, you just turned him right the hell around and said, this is not the place for you. New Jack, who would it have been?
2: I think New Jack would have enjoyed Disney. That's the sad part about it. You know, like everybody says New Jack is a bad seed, right? But I guess if you take him out of the element of being a badass and you put him in a happy place, how could you act miserable? Or how could you not act happy? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, if you don't open up a book you can't judge you know you don't know if you don't open up, if you don't open up the cover to the book how could you judge
1: well I spent enough time with New Jack to judge so have you come on I know you're a good guy but come on
2: <laughs> yeah but you know what The funny thing is I never had a problem with him. I, mean, I, I didn't call-
1: either I like him but just his the things he's he's told me that he's done
2: all right so he's he's led an exciting life people New Jack has led an exciting life his first name is Jerome I call him Jerome you know and like you know he might have done some crazy things and he might have done some things that are all off the over the top you know but the end of the day you know people overall especially with the way we're going through life right now with the riots and everything you know if you treat me good i treat you good if you treat me bad i don't you know you're not allowed in my life and if people had that concept of treating people accordingly we wouldn't be in the middle of the mess we're in today
1: I'm in, uh, I live in New Jersey, so uh, growing up, there were two, if I were so inclined to become a wrestler, and you see my physique, so you know I, I would have had an easy road, um, yeah. my choices for wrestling school would have either been the Monster Factory, which was like, that was like in South Jersey, and right. then um, Johnny Rods, who was in New York, uh, you are a product of Johnny Rods, um, take me inside the school, what was it like? What were the valuable things you learned? It's one of the the few legendary wrestling training grounds.
2: Okay, Johnny Rod's School of Wrestling. You know, when I broke in, Johnny was still wrestling and actively training his, his students. He would get in the ring with you. He would train you. He would teach you. You know, it wasn't like today where students are teaching students. You know, when you go to a wrestling school, Oh, so-and-so will teach you, or this one will teach you. You know, that wasn't the case with Johnny. You know, Johnny actually got in there and taught us and wrestled against me, trained with me, taught me, you know, and showed me different things. You know, it taught me to respect the business. Basics are a big thing. If you can't get up, you can't wrestle. So you had to learn how to wrestle. You had to learn how to grapple. I was a basketball player. I didn't know nothing about wrestling. But when I came out of that school and I went all over the world, I knew how to wrestle and protect myself. When I learned how to work, you know, you knew kayfabe, you knew Carney, you knew you know, heel, you knew babyface, you knew to listen to the vets, you knew to respect the business. When everybody forgets that I went to the WWF in my first year, and there I am wrestling Bret Hart and Bulldog and Boss Man, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Monte Giannetti, and a whole host of others. And they gave me offense. And they didn't treat me like the regular enhancement guy. And I was having matches on Monday Night Raws. But that was a, a, a tribute to where I came from, how I broke in the business, and the pedigree which, which I was taught. And you took wrestling seriously.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, did, did you get some, uh, like a, a bit of a break up front with the boys when they found out that you were a product of Johnny Rods' school as opposed to someone who might have walked in from somewhere else?
2: yes, once they knew you were one of Johnny's boys because Johnny was respected throughout. And, you know, if I was one of Johnny's guys, they knew I knew how to wrestle. And once they saw me take a bump, and once they saw how I reacted and what I did in there, they knew, okay, this kid is okay. He's green, but we could work with him.
1: What's the most valuable piece of advice Johnny Rods gave you?
2: Um, Just always keep your training up. And always, you know, keep your training up and always practice, stay with your basics, you know, protect yourself, you know, as best you can. Um, You know, you know, back then, you know, you had a certain amount of knowledge on what was what in wrestling as far as health. And you trained the old school way and taught with the old code. So be tough. You know, are you okay, kid? Yes, sir. All right. Come back tomorrow. How did you do out there, kid? You all right? Yes, sir. I'm good. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. Always show respect, shake people's hands. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, it takes you from there. If you're talented and good, people will use you. If you're not talented, people don't use you. Right.
1: You made a career with the uh, with, the Italian stuff, Mama Luke's and uh, the full-blooded Italians, the New York connection with Glenn in uh, TNA. And did you ever wish you could have done something very different from who you were just to kind of try your acting chops out a little bit?
2: Hey, I did the dress right, and the dress That's was no, But I did, but people forget I did the German gimmick, and yeah. when I was wrestling for Tommy Jeanette, you know I did a Harry Krishna gimmick, I did a Sledgehammer Rock gimmick, I did a uh, Uncle Chester gimmick. I tried out a bunch of different gimmicks, and I always stuck with Skull. So I had the I had the the auditions to do all these things, and I had the premonition to try different things to try to get noticed at the WW. Uh, WWE, WWF so I would try different things, send the tape in and it was good, you know, people don't remember, but on Tommy Jeanette shows, I used to work two gimmicks, I used to work under a mask and then I used to work as the German, so I used to work four times on fast shows four matches, 20 minutes each Delicious. so that's how much I loved the biz yeah, so you're talking about working under a mask, working as Skull you know, doing my thing and then working all over the place, going back to training school, train. I mean, how many guys used to do Monday Night Raw and go to training on Tuesday at Johnny's? It yeah. just don't happen. you know. So I did get a chance to work different gimmicks, work the different territories, but I think it was the territories that best groom you to make you learn how to work and do different things and work with the fans and Fabe and do stuff like that. If they had more stuff like that available, I think the talent would be better and... I think wrestling would be better as a whole.
1: All right, got a couple of a couple of Italian guys here. I'm half, but that, that qualifies. We're in Florida, so we're going to talk about what Italian guys talk about in Florida. Where do you get your mozzarella down here?
2: Right, where you get your mozzarella, where can you get a good bagel, and where can you get good pizza?
1: Right. Tell me, where is it? Go. The one by you. Who's got the pizza? Start with pizza.
2: Uh, I just had Marco's Pizza, if you know Marco's. That's a chain, and, though, uh, right? Yeah, but that's the best. You know, the chains are, what are the- what's down here, especially by me. So you're talking Marcos, Papa John's, oh. probably Dave. Yeah, uh, that's what I got, man. That's the, what
1: I got. Uh, come up this way. There's a place called Mezzaluna. I'll give you your address off the air. Mezzaluna. Um, how about bagels? Go.
2: Bagels? I haven't found one yet. <laughs>
1: You know the, uh, the over where I am. That's the I. I have to say I'm comfortable because I was able to find a bagel place. They get them sent from New York, uncooked, but the dough and the waters from New York. They send it down. They just put it in the oven here, so it tastes like home. And I was able to get pizza. So that's uh, that's all you need for Christ's sake.
2: But that's good. I mean, but then you know when you live this Florida lifestyle, you try to lay off the pizza and the bagels because you got to keep. You know, your bathing suit figure looking good, especially at the pool. You got to look good, you know, you got to look buff and you got to look handsome, you know, just in case your wife divorces you, you have a head start on life.
1: Right. I was much more comfortable talking my physique with Ron Jeremy last week than I am with Vito LaGrasso this week. But Vito, where can we reach you? Where can we find you? Where can we touch you?
2: All right. If you guys would like, go to twitch.tv slash the big Vito brand. We have audio podcasts everywhere under the Big Vito brand. Our social media is under the Big Vito brand. You know, check out Skull Von Crush. He's making a comeback. He's on Twitter. The Big Vito brand is on Twitter. Go to Facebook. You have the Big Vito brand, Vito Lagrasso. Catch us on Instagram at, at the Big Vito brand. You know, and uh, I just want to thank you very much for having me on your show. It was great to get to chat with you. I don't get to talk about Disney too much, but it's a very, very enlightening conversation. I mean, you are one of the last podcasts I do for today. And there's a difference than <laughs> talking about, you know, how were things in the dress? What was life like living as a Mameluke? And we talked about Disney and all the happy things in the world.
1: All right. Ciao, paizan. entertaining guest. As you might hear, I am here with uh, Lana, my youngest, by popular request. Lana, you know, someone on Twitter wanted you to do the segment with me. Yeah. Uh, so here you are. Yeah.
0: It's your lucky
1: day. It's my lucky day, and it's the fans' lucky day, apparently. Yeah. Yes. And you've uh, you've curled your hair today, too. You want to yes. tell everybody about that real quick?
0: Yeah, we have a new curler, uh, like... It's like a normal one but you click a button that curls it for you. It spins, right? It so spins it, it uh, for yeah, you.
1: it kind of curls up your hair like that.
0: That I sprayed it. I kind of got it on my, in my
1: eye. You sprayed it in your eye? Yeah.
0: No, mom sprayed it, but I was like, "Oh, this, okay. But one time I was like this."
1: You're a survivor, kid. A little bit of hairspray in the eye, never hurt anybody. Yeah. Ask Nikki 6.
0: Nikki
1: 6? Yeah, don't worry about it. Ask Ariana Grande. Is that better? Okay. Don't forget to talk right into that mic, honey, so the world can hear you. Okay. There you go. Um, here are the questions. Um, I,
0: I'm not going to be reading them today because we're going to answer the questions today. Only
1: us. Right. I'll read the question. We'll answer them together, maybe. Yeah. You can give some insight into the answer. We did a dry run, and, and you know, it was no better with the, yeah. the big words, right? Yeah. Be here for a freaking hour. Yeah. Um, here we go. Uh, an officer and a Peter Melnick asks me if I've ever been in a submarine. <sighs> um, yeah, I think I was. I want to say that there was a submarine,
0: submarine
1: in Hackensack, New Jersey at one time. Maybe it was a museum type deal. Um, I was never in a mission in a submarine but i walked into uh I, I i believe that's where it was i these are that, very hazy memories uh
0: what is like a submarine
1: oh a submarine is a, is a a boat that stays underwater that they use during war like oh. to shoot other boats uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah not not nice uh, activities um vince russo bro vincent russo bro Vil and St. I, I I don't know. Villas Villa Saint <laughs> Russo, bro. Okay, just tell the just read the damn thing, right? I know. Um who are the three people that have been most influential to you? Ooh, what is it? Like people that um I looked up to or people that uh made me who I am. You know? I gotta be honest with this one. Let's let's be honest. Um well, my earliest years, I was a I was a very big Howard Stern fan. From about eighty four on, I listened to him daily. So a lot of like my my comic sensibilities and kind of my treatment of media, I think, it comes from Howard Stern. I, I'm going to have to be honest with that one. I was a, I was more than a mark, and. Uh, maybe comedically also George Carlin I think I was I used to memorize George Carlin's routines he speak was a comedian dad. speak dad I know I'm not thinking uh George Carlin I used to memorize his his uh comedy acts and go to school and go to the back of the classroom and do the do the routines everyone in my town was poor they didn't have cable so I, they didn't know I was ripping anyone else off and uh so that's how that is yeah so maybe George Carlin a little a little Howard Stern, I don't know. I, I, I mean, uh, in my acting career, I, I always thought that Sean Penn was uh, was the the benchmark that all act, all actors should aspire to, as far as being able to embody a character like at a at a cellular level and really being a chameleon. So I, I guess artist a chameleon, right? So I guess artistically, I'd have to say Sean Penn. There's probably others, but I'll, I'll throw those three out there right now. Oh, the same question, Vincent Russo Bro says, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Ooh. What do you think, Lana? What did I fail at? What was my epic fail?
0: Epic fail. Uh. Can you
1: think of anything I uh, really messed up?
0: Uh, I think you messed up.
1: I'm glad you can't think of anything. That means I'm perfect. Am I Perfect.
0: But I, I I need to remember one thing you just like.
1: Well, if it if it comes up, you can you can say it. Think about it for a couple of. Minutes. I think
0: this was an accident.
1: Go ahead. What was it?
0: Okay, so I I I was a little kid. I was like probably like three or something. Oh my
1: God! Right, no, four no. years ago. No, yeah.
0: I, I I couldn't like I I I did walk. Okay. I was. I think it
1: was four. Okay. So four. What happened?
0: Uh, I shoved my finger in the um, the door, and then I, I was crying, and then you came in and then made it worse and just oh, <laughs> opened God. the door. I do remember
1: that. Her <laughs> finger was stuck in the... You know, you st- stick your finger in not the door jam where the, where the knob is, but the back, like like the back of the door, and she was behind the door... <laughs> And I heard her crying somewhere in the house. And so she had put her finger in the, the space between the door and the, the frame and opened. And I guess she was pulling the door open and it was tightening. And I heard her crying. So I ran in the room and I threw the door open. And I <laughs> crushed the finger, right? Yeah, I did mess that up. Uh, yeah. Vincent Russo, bro, if you're thinking of Vin- anything professionally, I, I don't know. I, I, but
0: I, it was an accident.
1: It was an accident, I know. It was an accident, and it wasn't a failure. Okay. I think it was, it was just a, an accident. But I'm, I'm glad you remember that. That, that one's going to, if that yeah. one's still on your mind, if, that's going to be in therapy you know, and on Oprah and all this shit, right? If you
0: know, I, I, <laughs> there was a friend over, and she heard me crying too. It, yeah. it was Cassandra, right? Yeah,
1: I think it was.
0: It was Cassandra.
1: Biggest failure? What did I learn from it? Okay, well, I have to give you something here because it's a it's a really great and a great and a valid question, and I talk about a lot of that type of stuff in my book, The Business of Kfabe. you You've just got to ask yourself after failure, what is the lesson? Don't lose the lesson. Don't lose the lesson. Um, I think my, I, I, I guess in in kfabe commentaries was my resistance to changing the format resistance to jumping into digital exhibition only Um, maybe we should have gotten rid of the dvds earlier we should have you know started a channel long before started a, a a network of podcasts all these things were on the table and we talked about all these things but there were positives and negatives to all of them and um ultimately we've got to just accept what what we did and we just kept doing what we did. We tried some alternative programming, different types of stuff still within our genre, but you know, really different stuff like Raven's wrestler rescue a makeover show. And, and ultimately it didn't work because I think what had to change rather than the subject matter was really just the exhibition mode. We really just had to go to digital and streaming, uh, exclusively I think. And, um, you know i guess we would have done that earlier got into the game all right we'll do one more Lana how about that and then for god's sakes we'll uh we'll we'll get on with it um steve says you must have built up a collection of vhs and cd's over the years wrestling and non-wrestling stuff did you digitize everything or just toss them out i ha- uh, he's asking that because uh, everything is, is like on Netflix and stuff, should we throw our DVDs in the garbage? What do you think about that?
0: I don't know. Because
1: why do you need DVDs if it's on Netflix or Amazon, right?
0: Well, there's this cool, like, uh, I think we still have, it. it's like a purple, you know, laptop that I use and you put DVDs in it and it
1: plays the movie for you. Yeah, DVD player, but now with Netflix why do you need it? It's mm. a good question, isn't it? But well, to answer you Steve, I did toss a bunch of DVDs. Um there was some stuff I just couldn't physically get rid of. I have to admit this that uh, that I cannot fully totally embrace digitization forget about cord cutting the, the digitization of everything i held on to some dvds i have not played a cd okay in probably 10 years i have fucking boxes of oh, sorry lana for the language i owe you well, i owe you money it's for
0: okay because i always hear that
1: yes thank you everyone please call child protective services um
0: <laughs>
1: yeah that was good huh <laughs> Um, I, I boxes of CDs. I do keep them. I have not gone in them. There's a couple in the basement. There's some in the garage. I just I have them, and and I'm I'm gonna be brave. You know what? This summer, this summer, Steve, for you, God damn it, Steve, for you, I'm gonna do it this summer. I am getting rid of the, the CDs. I'm tossing the CDs. They're going. They're going. They have to. They have to. Even if even, I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna look at. I'm gonna go. Oh, I don't have this in iTunes. I have to keep the CD. I'm never playing it. None of my stuff can play. CDs anymore. We're throwing it out. Lana, will you throw it out with me? Will you throw it all in the garbage with me? No. See, you can't either, right? You're supposed to be having a positive effect on your father and telling him he could throw <gasps> but, all this stuff but, out. But, it, it's just that what if we go on trips and I get bored? And, uh, you, and, yeah, you have the iPad and you can watch Netflix. That's what it's about. Trips. How many trips have you been on? You have a charmed life. You know that?
0: Oh, uh, I think uh, I've been on is there... If you don't know, there's this house down in...
1: Florida? No. South Carolina. Myrtle Beach?
0: Myrtle Beach, where we stay Stay there a couple of yeah. days. Uh,
1: so you went to Myrtle Beach. How many times have you been to Disney?
0: Ooh, that's a hard question.
1: What do you think? Well, you're seven years old, right? So Yeah,
0: I'm seven years old.
1: And then you've gone a couple of times each year. So you've been there like... 14 times, maybe, right?
0: Huh.
1: You bored of it yet, or you still like it?
0: No, I still like it. All
1: right. Well, we talked a little bit of Disney on this episode, because my guest was a uh, security guard at Disney. He was one of the guys that yes. uh, wears the blue outfits. Big Vito.
0: Uh, his name is Lloyd.
1: No, no, this was Big Vito. This was... Uh, Vito. Yeah, he was my guest today. Listen, Lana, why ah. I, you know what you can do for me now? Because it's, it's that time. It's that time where I tell everybody to have a good week, yeah. And you can tell them that this podcast uh-huh. was a production. Go ahead.
0: This podcast was a
1: production. Of Sean Oliver Media.
0: Of Sh- Sean o- Oliver Media.
1: And the music. And the music. By the great Kevin McLeod.
0: By the great Kevin
1: McLeod. Yeah. Through a Creative Commons license.
0: Through a Creative commons, R- commons. <laughs> license
1: now tell everybody to have a good week and do something ridiculous this week
0: have a good weekend and if you're bored just do something crazy